We're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Welcome to Wayfinding Growth. This episode of Wayfinding Growth is brought to you by Sprocket Talk. If you're ready to take your HubSpot experience to a whole new level, you need to join Sprocket Talk as a free VIP member. That's right, free. Tutorials, courses, training, HubSpot updates, and so much more. Head to sprockettalk.com slash WG to join the movement and get an exclusive Wayfinding Growth deal. Welcome to the show. I'm Dan Moyle. And I'm ready to beg. We're so glad you're here. Yes, we are. It is incredible. By the way, uh, get the kids out of the room or out of the car before you listen to this episode. Uh, it's not going to be bleeped. It's, an, it's adults having a conversation, but uh, our guest today does let it fly, which is awesome. It's his authentic self. <laughs> yes. um, because on today's episode, we're talking with uh, three-time CMO from Silicon Valley, author of Play Bigger and Niche Down, and host of the wildly popular podcast, Follow Your Different. It's Christopher Lockhead. And we're exploring what it means to be a legendary entrepreneur and design your own world, your own category. So Remington, I'm curious uh, what you loved about this episode. What are a couple of takeaways that you got out of this? I think our listeners are going to get a whole lot out of this. This one actually went completely off the rails um, in regards to our outline, but sometimes that's where the best stuff hangs out. Oh yeah. He talked about um, category brand and product and how those tie in intrinsically. Um, and anyone in marketing or in entrepreneurship in general really needs to consider those. And I think a lot of times he mentioned how category is not really thought about as much as it should be. Um, and then he also said falling in love with the problem and not the product sounds very familiar of another episode that people are going to get to hear as well um, in slightly different contexts. But when we start thinking about that um, people's marketing can be very different if we focus on that problem and not the mm -hmm. product. So there's just so many different takeaways, no matter where you are in business or as part of a business uh, to really take away some, some gold mines here. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and I like how he talks about the difference between entrepreneurs. There's the big E entrepreneur like Google, and then there's their little E entrepreneur, like the, the bar that he talks about called barcade. So I think listeners will find that interesting and, and how you differentiate yourself does differ between those two, but comes down to some same things too. So big E versus little E. Um, we also get into a great conversation about entrepreneurship at the end. So go to that, but also listeners, I, Listeners will hear, I think, if you, if you listen closely, they'll pick up on this idea that Christopher is naturally curious, I think, and so are the people that he talks about. Those who design their own category, who think about the problem before the, before the, the product, uh, those people are naturally curious or they've worked on it maybe, but that curiosity is so key. We don't necessarily call that out, but you'll, you'll hear that as we get into it. So yeah, yeah man, great, great stuff. Great stuff. All right, friends. So here it is, season two, episode eight of Wayfinding Growth. Let's set that course for growth. Christopher, welcome to Wayfinding Growth. Thanks for uh, spending a little time with us instead of surfing today, man. Well, thanks for having me. It, it is a very nice day here today, and there are some waves, but uh, I'm stoked to be with you. Right on, man. So we, I love that I get to ask you some questions today because I've listened to your show a ton, uh, read both your books, and now I get to just kind of dive in and like just pick your brain. So, um, but I want to know, we start with charting the course. So if this whole thing is about wayfinding growth and kind of navigating, right? You're an author of books on designing your own category, on finding the right niche. Uh, you have one of the most popular podcasts out there right now on the, on the airwaves, as it were, uh, which is incredible. Not a surprise. How did you get here? How did you chart your course to where you are today? 
I was just drinking beer in my mom's basement, and this shit just started <laughs> happening. That's Another what I like to hear. Overnight success. Another one. Yeah, I had a trust fund, a giant trust fund. <laughs> yeah. And and my parents had a lot of connections, and so I just coasted right into it. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't even believe it when you say it, by the way, just for the record. It sounds like a, it sounds like a lie or somebody else or something. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not though. <laughs> I've, I've been following for a while, dude. I'm a fan. Like no kidding. This is who we're talking to. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's been, it's been, it's been absolutely nuts around here lately, ever since this, uh, we broke the top 200 and I look, I don't even track that shit. I, I'm allowed to swear, right? Oh yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, you um, be you, man. Oops. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the site that tracks the overall charts is called chartable. Well, I sort of knew what it was. I didn't have an account. And what happened was on Facebook, um, Kevin Miller from the Zig Ziglar podcast, legendary podcast, awesome guy, stoked to know him. Uh, He posts on Facebook, hey, wow, do you know you're the number 53 podcast in the country? And I said, what? And then on Twitter and uh, Jason DeFilippo from Grumpy Old Geeks and the Jordan Harbinger show, one of my all-time favorites, Mm -hmm. he says something similar. So I'm like, well, what is going on? Anyway, long story way longer. Um, I was stunned to find out that not only had we broken the charts, but um, for a while there, we, we peaked at around 23 or 24, something like that. And we were out ch- charting Oprah. <laughs> uh, relevancy, man. That right there. Right? <laughs> Come on. That's ridiculous. That's crazy. So do you? So when you talk about growth, I mean, did, you didn't have an account on Chartable. You weren't necessarily watching that. What what metrics do you look at, if any, to grow what you're doing? Because like as a speaker, as an author, um, as a, as a podcaster, you know, you've designed your own category. You followed your own advice, but are you are you charting growth in a way? Um, well, of course you, you look at some of that stuff as an author, you want to know, are people buying your book and are they reading it? And, um, as a podcaster, I mean, you guys know, you want to know, does anybody other than your mom or whatever listen to this stuff? <laughs> she doesn't listen. I know that. <laughs> well, we just, uh, we just found out that Christopher does. So that's cool. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm getting way into it. Um, it's also, we can talk about this too. It's, it's also, it's, it's a totally different thing to have two hosts. Yeah, this has been fun for me. I, I have my own show and then I like audio engineer produce a, a different show and this is my third one and it's fun to have this co-host at Remington on board. Um, it is different. It's kind yeah. of fun. Yeah, we, we really like the dynamic and I have another show that we do with Sprocket Talk with George B. Thomas that's uh, co-hosting. We really like the jive of it. it. keeps things fresh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a completely different thing. Yeah, and having just... Um, just been working on a solo or a mostly solo new podcast, a marketing podcast. What I've learned is uh, solo podcasting is uh, another completely different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Now, so when we think about growth, you know, I, it's, it often comes down to marketing. It often comes down to that kind of like sales stuff, but it's not always the way it is. I like what, what, what you take on and, and play bigger and niche down both. Uh, is kind of designing your own category, finding your own way. Which, 
which one is for which? Like I've heard you explain it before, Christopher. One is kind of for corporations to design their category and do their thing. And one is kind of more for like entrepreneurs, and I would say creatives, to really design their niche or find their niche. Yeah, you're talking about the difference between the two, my two books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're both on the same concept, which is this notion of being able to create your own category and this this discipline, this business discipline called category design. And it's predicated on the simple idea that um, you can design products, um, you can design companies and business models, um, but nobody ever thinks about the market category as something that is proactively, intentionally designable. As a matter of fact, they talk about it in the opposite way. They talk about most people relate to quote unquote the market like they do the weather. Right? So if you're reading the Wall Street Journal and you read an article that says, um, you know, uh, Google stock up uh, 15% after, you know, strong earnings quarter, right? And then you begin to read the article and the article says, um, Given the increasing demand for digital advertising, Google's revenue exceeded expect. And they're like, oh, yeah, like the weather. Like today it's going to be foggy in Santa Cruz. There was just somebody blew some extra demand. And, and what they don't understand, of course, is Google is the primary designer of why there's demand. That is to say not only did they create – an amazing product slash technology. I mean, uh, extraordinary. They created a company and a business model, this auction model and this pay for performance model that began to bring rigor and measurability to marketing for the first time at any kind of scale, right? Mm -hmm. So the awesomeness of their product was great and they got awesome business model slash company, right? Most people stopped there. At the time, there were these things that people called portals and they distinguished themselves by saying we're a search engine and they took all that crapola out and they focused on this one thing. Right. And so in so doing, they got product design, company design and category design. Right. They didn't say we're a portal 2.0. They said we're a search engine. And they began to, and I'm going to use this word on purpose, distinguish themselves from Yahoo and Excite and Alta Vista. And there was many of them, right? And now, of course, they stand alone. But my point is what most people think happened there is, oh, Google got a great product. The market, whatever that fucking means, <laughs> liked it and bought it. And that's why they won. And what they're missing is Google actually purposely, intentionally positioned a new paradigm called search. And they prosecuted the magic triangle. That is to say they got company, product, and category right. And the ability to do that and the ability to do that in any kind of repeatable way is what we attempt to at least start a conversation about in both books with lots of examples. And the difference between the two books is the first book is for a category design, category creation for what you might think of as biggie entrepreneurs. I, I have some kind of technology. I go to Silicon Valley or some other place that, that funds 
startups like mine. I raise a whole bunch of venture capital. And my intention is to create a very big multi-billion dollar category and a publicly traded multi-billion dollar market cap company. That's one game. And that's where I've spent the vast majority of my adult life. There's another game, however, called, hey, we got a legendary idea, the three of us, for a bar that makes burgers. And there's actually one on the East Coast that we profile in, in Niche Down. And unlike... You know, most guys like us to get together and go, hey, let's open a bar that has awesome beer and awesome burgers, and we'll just call it the shit we like bar. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what most people do, right? Uh, and it's completely undifferentiated. I think this is about four or five buddies. Anyway, long story way longer. These guys, they're not trying to be Google. They're not trying to create the search category. They just want a highly differentiated bar that they love and their customers love. And they can be super successful at that. So what do they do? They declare that they're the world's first arcade bar. Sure. And they name the place Barcade. And what do they have? They have the shit that these dudes like. Lots of yummy beer on tap. Great burgers and that kind of food. Uh, uh, 80s and 90s classic rock like Rush and shit like that. Mm -hmm. And stand-up video games, the old Pac-Mans and, you know, the old, those giant video games we used to play, right? And right. that, and now there's a, there's a chain of them. They have multiple locations. Why? Because most restaurants, most bars are completely undifferentiated and they compete on this idea called, hey, we have really good food and we priced it right. That's the strategy for like 90% of restaurants. These guys create their own category. They niche down. They carve out a whole new distinction in restaurants and they name it as such. They proactively educate the category to think differently about this. Barcade, world's first arcade bar. And so yeah. they win. And so what's my point? On one hand, uh, biggie entrepreneurs a la Google can apply these, these, these ideas to create a new category and ultimately dominate it. And at the same time, so can the three of us, if we get together and we want to come up with a super differentiated idea for a bar. Right. Yeah. So when you, um, when you're thinking about that journey to coming up with that concept, what, what are some key things you mentioned? Was it the magic triangle? Yeah. Yeah. Magic triangle. You say company product and category. They get all three of those things, right? Yes, sir. Right. So, so what, um, as, as you start to like, plan that journey to, to get there, what are some key things that you want to make sure people pay attention to? So most companies are started by what uh, Michael Gerber calls a technician having an entrepreneurial seizure. If you've heard that, he says that, I, I believe it's in the e-myth, right? So I like to cook. I open a restaurant. I like to write software. I start a software company, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, and so um, the, the first thing is to say, okay, um, what problem are we solving? Where most entrepreneurs go to is they go to product. And look, sometimes people can, um, as Archie Bunker said, misconstrue what I mean here. I love legendary products. I am in no way, shape, or form saying you, you don't have to have a legendary product. You do, especially today. Um, and so the magic triangle is about equal weighting on all three. My point is most people don't do the category piece. So they, they there's a lot of entrepreneurs, CEOs, who this is their headset, whether they say it as such or not. 
We make shit and we sell shit and everything else is bullshit. <laughs> right? Like so HR, that. finance, marketing, those are all expenses, right? What do we right. say about marketing? What's our marketing spend? Right. When I was a CMO, if you said marketing spend, I was going to whack you. Guess what you needed to say? Marketing investment. Yeah. Language matters. We are not a cost center. We, we, we create demand and we execute in a way that we've positioned the company to drive massive breakthroughs in revenue. Now we have to do that, of course, in partnership with sales. Oh, look, who somebody's calling. Is it Putin? <laughs> I, I, I think it was. I didn't realize my, my speaker was on. Anyway. <laughs> Apparently to our uh, mutual friend, uh, Morgan Wright, Putin's always there with us. <laughs> That's true. That is Zuckerberg. That's right. <laughs> so, anyway. Awesome. So, so when you start thinking about like, so that's awesome that it has to be an equal balance of those. And I love that you're talking about marketing investment versus spend. Like, I think even as marketers, we catch ourselves in that just as general language, but I think that's fantastic. So where, where are some shipwrecks that people run into um, as they, as they focus on trying to niche down or, or kind of refine their direction? So I think there's a couple. The first one is, um, having a product conversation. No one cares. No one cares about the carbodingulation and the deconfibrillation. No, no one cares about that. You do. It's awesome that you do. It's great. Of course, the inventor of a product, the creator of a business is in love with the thing. That's awesome. But you're the only one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that that's the first one. We have to we have to be externally uh, uh, thinking, right? And then the, the second one is when we say marketing, there is a undeclared, undiscussed, unanalyzed uh, context paradigm that says what we are doing is we are, quote, unquote, going to market. That's an expression, go to market. There are companies that have the vice president of go to market. Right. So we're going to market. And what marketing's job is, is to communicate, have a conversation with the market such that we capture demand and are able to prosecute that demand and turn it into sales. Right. So... That's generally what people think of when they think about marketing. Here's what they don't ask. Why does this category behave this way? Why do we use the language that we use? Why is it a high-end pair of sunglasses is 350 bucks and a, you know, perfectly decent flat screen TV from Costco is uh, 150 bucks? <laughs> Yeah. You're like, what? 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 One, one product is a piece of plastic on your face that keeps UV out. Very important. I have blue eyes. I need good sunglasses, or at least I appreciate them. The other one talks to satellites in space. <laughs> right. And one's more than double the price of the other one. Why is that? Who yeah. decided that? Right? So when you begin to step back and you say, well, why do things work the way they do? The first aha that you have 
is the most legendary innovators, the most legendary creators, the most legendary entrepreneurs, politicians, uh, uh, people who fought for some kind of a social, uh, moral issue, religious issue they believed in, um, any kind of creator, any kind of scientist who made a giant impact, for the most part, they are somebody that broke and took new ground. For the most part, they were not playing an incremental better game. They were playing an exponential different game. For the most part, they did not, and this is a big one, want to be compared to what came before. They wanted to have what came after them be compared to them. Hmm. And so they created a different way of thinking about something, often a problem and therefore a solution, sometimes an idea. But generally, if you look in business, they identify some kind of a problem. And so when they do that, they become known for a niche that they own. Um, we don't know who the uh, 36th best reggae musician was. <laughs> but we know who Bob Marley is. Yes, we do. <laughs> right? Elvis wasn't just a category king. He was the king of rock and roll and the category king, right? He right. brought rock and roll to the masses, right? He was a pioneer. That's why we admire them. And so you can do that in your business. And sometimes it's a whole new domain that's a, that is truly a massive innovation breakthrough. Um, and sometimes, you know what? We put video games and awesome beers and shit in this bar and it's really fun, but we're going to declare that we're differentiated around this simple idea. And so, you know, maybe those are two extremes of, the, of it, but the bottom line is the most legendary people and the most legendary companies are different and they become known for a niche that they own. And what category design is, it's really about taking the intuitive things that people understand about this and making them explicit, going from implicit to explicit about how I carve out my own space in the world. Gotcha. So a couple of things, I'm going to go back to what you said about the, the shipwreck at the beginning, Christopher, you said that when like nobody cares, you care about the features, nobody cares. If I'm working with somebody who like they're the CEO or the founder or whatever, and they, you know, these are the things that we care about. Everybody else does. How do I, change that like if i know that if i'm listening i'm going yeah yeah i want to do that how do you communicate that up the ladder as it were or or can it only be the founder that gets this that has to then implement it if you're in a major company and your chief executive officer doesn't get this um in my experience i've done this about 50 times you are effed hmm. There's no like uh, uh, rebellion from below that makes this work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, the CEO. You know, there's that old mantra, right? The fish rots from the head down. The CEO sets the tone for the whole business, and if she isn't a hundred percent committed, it's not going to happen. While marketing is a huge part of this, and in many cases, uh, as no surprise, marketing is is the key kind of driver of it. Um, if, if you believe what I believe, which is category design is a third of what makes a company successful, then 
the CEO should spend a third of her time thinking about how do we build and design and build legendary products slash services, whatever it is we do. They should spend a third of their time thinking about how do we um, design and build a legendary company, make this the greatest place for people ever to work, um, 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 get a, a truly innovative business model that allows us to get handsomely rewarded for the awesome fantastic shit we do, but at the same time is super compelling to our customers, et cetera. It has a massive return for our shareholders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the, all the incredible things that have to go into company designing and building. But then a third of it is, okay, so what category are you in? Who do you want to be compared to? Oh, you don't want to be compared to them? Why? Because they get shitty prices for their products. They have terrible margins or you're in the world that I grew up in. Um, you know, their valuations and market caps aren't that interesting to you because you think you're doing something that has much more potential than that. Okay, for all those reasons and many others, now we need to differentiate. And what most people think is we're going to differentiate on brand. And the truth is categories make brands, not the other way around. Yeah, mm. I like that. That's good. Categories make brands. I've heard you say it a few times in uh, conversations. And that's, yeah. You've got to design your category. Did so off off topic, but on topic. Is that what Joey Ramone did? Design his own category. Yeah, they're the they're the category designers of punk rock, right. and they're a great example. At the time they come out, what's popular? Led Zeppelin, Yes, you know Peter Frampton, all this amazing music, but very wow. technical, and you have to be a virtuoso, right? You know, these guys know four chords and, you know, sounds like they're banging pots and pans, right? Like, but it feels completely different. And and so what they want is they don't want to be compared to Led Zeppelin. They want to be compared to themselves. So they say we're not a rock band or a hard rock band or a whatever rock band. We're a new type of rock and roll called punk rock. Mm. Hmm. So you don't have to necessarily be first. You just got to be different. And then own that and yeah that's i like that and i'm a big fan of the ramones so you gotta you gotta chart your own course as it were right well and the irony about the ramones they were actually not proactive about it it happened for them accidentally joey didn't like the term at first and then ended up embracing it and so that's the other thing you know the 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 bummer about the ramones is um and we had we had the manager of joey's estate on on the podcast they didn't really start to make money until after they were gone yeah. Right. And so uh, the world in their case had to position them as a new category. They didn't do it proactively. Who knows if they had t- taken ownership of it and been evangelist for it might've been different. You know, you can't know, but, but, but in their case, they actually resisted it. They just said, Oh, we're a rock band. But the truth is once the world understood they're different then they were the godfathers of punk, right? Mm-hmm. And and there was a whole other, you know, there were thousands of punk bands. That's so how you know you got a category. When everybody follows you, right? So so you, I, I would just say evangelize. You've got to be that when you're designing your category then too, don't you? Yeah, the Ian CEO stands for evangelist. Yeah. And what you're evangelizing is the category. And in specific, um, legendary category creators and designers have a point of view about something, right? So um, Mark Benioff has a point of view that software should not be a thing that you buy. 
and install in your data center. It should be a thing that you rent and run over the internet. Yeah. Well, look at him now. That that's radically different. Everybody thought that was mental. Everybody thought the only way you could even ha- think that think about it from this perspective. It's 1998. So let me understand this, Mark. You're going to go to Fortune 500 companies and you're going to say, "Hey, um, first of all, you're going to tell me all your salespeople and you put that in here. Um, second of all, you're going to tell me all their territories and regions and the customers, all the customers. Then you're going to tell me by sales rep, by customer, by product, by region, your sales forecast for the quarter. And I'll just run that over here in my data center. And um, um, you don't own the uh, you don't own the app, and uh, the data is over here at our place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They they sound crazy at first. Category but, designers. Yeah, yeah. But and I think I think some of the beauty that's in there is uh, consistency too, though, right? So I know like Drift is doing a really good job of this, like recently in regards to like pushing really heavy in the conversational bandwagon mm-hmm. of things. Um, and when you say, yeah. And when you say, you know, the, the brand categories make the brand, not the other way around. I think that's a really big thing that, um, that, you know, that drift is doing and it's easy to be like, wow, their brand is crazy, but you're, you're absolutely right. The fact that they went so hard and so consistent with that, with that, um, that momentum, they're doing a really great job in that regard. So it's pretty awesome. Yeah, because it's uh, the way the human, this is the big aha. It's the way the human brain works. Let's say the three of us are going out to dinner tonight. Let's say you're visiting with me in Santa Cruz. And um, uh, I say, hey, yeah, you're, you're invited. Um, and I say to you, hey, hey boys, I want to go out tonight to one of my favorite restaurants in town. It's called Gabriella's. What's a logical question you might ask? What do they have? What kind of food do they have? Yeah. So what just happened there is I gave you brand, Gabriella's, and you responded with, hey, I can't understand anything about that brand until I understand what category of restaurant it is. And so the way the human brain works is category first, brand second, every time. Hey, my, my mouth hurts. Shit. We need a dentist. Okay. <laughs> let's look for legendary dentist in close to me who knows how to deal with whatever it is. This. Right. We, we don't start off with, um, Oh, what we need is, you know, Jill Smith dentist. Right. That would be a brand. We start off with And, and by the way, we have to, there's a hierarchy in our head, an even bigger filing system in our head that says, there's medical professional and then there's all sorts of different subcategories of medical professional that could range on one end to uh, a massage therapist. You could argue that's the medical professional. Um, uh, I'm taking a rolfing program right now. That's a medical professional. Then there are more traditional things, doctors and nurses, but then there's first responders and I could go on and on forever. And so there's this giant, category bucket called medical professional and then there's what subcategories and then there's subcategories inside that so if i say to you guys hey man you know my buddy 
uh, you know, Dr. Jill Jones is just one of the greatest doctors around. And I just love her. You know, she's so great. And I start going on and on about Dr. Jill Jones. What are you waiting for me to tell you? What she does. What she does is what kind of doctor is she? Yeah. Why? You need to know the category. Why? We can't, we can't put that somewhere until we know. That's crazy. Yep. So everything about the way the human brain works is category and subcategory. Simple example. I, if I say to you, hey, boys, I just got a new car. Mm. Well, car sits inside a mega category called transportation. You could argue plane is a subcategory of that category, right? Train, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then inside car, well, is it a car? Like a two-passenger car or two, two, um, a four-door passenger car? Is it a, is it a muscle car? Right. Is it an electric car? Is it an SUV? Is it a, here's one now. This is a newer one that's on fire right now. Is it a crossover, which is an in-between a four-door car and an SUV, now new subcategory. And so there's subcategories emerging all the freaking time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but if I say to you, hey, I got a new, I got the new BMW DX IUD FART. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I just had to let those letters sink in for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I can't help myself. Well, I'm slow that I'm, down and let him say it over again in the repeat. Once we uh, that's why I love that. But my uh, point is, if I say to you, hey, I got a new BMW, what are you likely to say? Which one? Yeah. Yeah. So category first, brand second. Yeah. Almost always. And by the way, even to drive the point even further on category makes the brand, um, you take a legendary brand and move it outside its category to do a head-on attack, it's not going to do anything. Hmm. So here's my favorite of recent. You ready for this? Yeah, bring it on. Red Bull Cola. Red Bull thought because they have one of the hottest brands on planet Earth that they could put that shit on anything. Right. So they did. And rather than saying they had a different category, niche, subcategory, some way to distinguish them from Coke so that uh, consumers evaluated their thing with a mindset that it's new and different and therefore should be evaluated with a different set of criteria than Coke. It's not an either or, it's an and. When Steve Jobs launches iPad, he says there's iPhone, MacBook, and now a new category of device. He's mm -hmm. saying now instead of two things, you need three things. <laughs> In the case of Red Bull, what they, what they didn't do is say, you used to drink Coke, now you move to Red Bull, and this is why. This is a new category of cola. Instead, they just said, it's awesome, Red Bull Cola. Which, which and, is and funny it nowhere. So it. They do so many other things. Yeah, but see, this is what happens. Um, but maybe they, they also got crushed when they attacked right. Five Hour Energy and they did Red Bull Energy Shot. They got crushed there because Five Hour Energy is the category yeah. creator, not them. 
That's right. You have to do something. You know they have cola or energy shots. Right. Because they went in and out of those categories fast and they weren't differentiated. They were doing a better game, not a different game. And they forgot what made them a category king in the first place, which is they were, if they had competed head on with Gatorade, they would have had their ass handed to them. But they said, we're a different thing. Right. We're for a different use case. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. It takes some some uh, spine <clears throat> to get that out there, right? To say I'm different. I, I'm not this much better. Incrementally better is not different. I like how I use yeah. it all the time. Um, so what kind of if if this is, so this is this, somebody's thinking about this like okay I'm gonna pivot I got to do this. What are some of the tools to to navigate this this journey of growth that you suggest, Christopher? Are there I mean is it is it a mindset? Are there specific tools and software how do you start that journey so i think the first thing you got to do is you got you got to get super clear on what's the problem hmm. and then once you're clear about the problem you know we like to say around here fall in love with the problem not the product fall in love with the problem and as you become obsessed with the problem um it makes you think differently and then from a from a marketing uh, externally facing point of view, um, the languaging around the problem really matters. So the company that creates the language dominates the category. So for example, people walk into all kinds of coffee shops these days that are not Starbucks and ask for a double grande latte. <laughs> That's Starbucks created differentiating language to create a new category called uh, Italian style uh, mega chain, right? Yeah. Nobody thought that was possible. And by the way, some people in the coffee world, and I have friends in the coffee world, and I'm super close to the Verve guys. I love those guys. Um, and then some high-end people in the coffee world like to shit on Starbucks. Well, I, I get it. I like, I, I don't, you know, I would much prefer Verve, but you know what? There was a point in time where you would land at Heathrow Airport and really want a coffee, and all there was was this scary-ass tar at a shitty donut shop. <laughs> right. Yeah, but anyway, my point is part of how they created their category that they now dominate as Category King is they did it with differentiating language. You can't go from charging 25 cents for something to three bucks for something and call it the same something. <laughs> right. True. right. Absolutely, and, absolutely true. And now it's there's coffee like coffee and milk, but they don't call it coffee and milk. Right. Right. And now there's this whole thing too, this whole push for uh, the death wish coffee, which, which used to be the, the not good beans, but it, they're more bitter, but they have more caffeine. So, and then they're doing a whole yeah. different category, which is, I find incredible too. That's a good one too. Well, yeah, actually that's legendary differentiation is, Hey man, this yeah. is not good for you. <laughs> don't, don't, yeah. don't, don't swallow this, man. Right. <laughs> but, but we still will anyways. Oh, of course. Like, right like one of my favorite <laughs> beers out here is uh, from Stone Brewing in San Diego. And they have uh, this high-end IPA called Arrogant Bastard. <laughs> and, and when you pick up a bottle of Arrogant Bastard and you read it, the bottle tells you, Hey, go, I mean, not quite in these words, but close. Hey, go fuck yourself. Put this bottle of beer down. You're not man enough or woman enough to drink this beer. Don't even think about it. 
you pussy. Like it, it's, 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 I'm, I'm exaggerating, but it's, it's that in a much more clever way. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. So this, there's so many takeaways. I've got like a, a whole page of them uh, right now. So this is fantastic. I can't wait for our listeners to see this. Is there anything else that we didn't ask you that you'd like to make sure our visitor or our listeners here? Uh, yeah, there is. Um, what many people don't realize is we are living in what might very well be the lowest level of uh, entrepreneurship in recorded American history. We know for a fact we're about half the level it was in the 1970s. And the amazing folks at the Brookings Institute continue to do research in this regard and continue to, to, sign, to, to signal the alarm bell. Uh, what, what Brookings says is more companies die in our country, in our country every week than are started. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, and three years ago, the Wall Street Journal, based on Brookings, and I believe MIT, but I'm not sure on the second one, but multiple data sources, they sort of brought things together. Three years ago, the Wall Street Journal declared, quote, a crisis in American entrepreneurship. Huh. And so um, there's a number of things, gentlemen, about that that are not okay with me and I don't think are okay with a lot of Americans, but I think a lot of Americans um, and even Americans in the entrepreneurial world aren't aware of this. Cause if you pick up, you know, you, you read the media, you would think everybody's doing a startup. The irony by the way is and right. this is probably a separate conversation. It's the greatest time in history to be starting a company. And mm-hmm. we're at what appears to be, if not the lowest, clo- very close to the lowest levels. And huh. so, um, I think there's a couple things about that. I think number one, if you're somebody who's in a position to help other entrepreneurs, I'm going to say something outrageous. Not only is it the right thing to do because it's cool. I think you have an obligation to the country to help entrepreneurs at this point. So, so that's kind of point A. Point B, um, and I think there's lots that could be done. We can talk about that if you like. Um, maybe that's another podcast. Point B, <laughs> uh, part, part um, <laughs> hey, political leaders, wake the fuck up. The Brookings Institute clearly, clearly in their research points to one of the factors is that state governments favor big companies not small ones and not startups. This is not me. This is the data from Brookings. I'll give you the link. You can download the report. I hope everybody reads it. It's a stunner. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they point to that. What else do we know? We know that uh, the high cost of healthcare stops a lot of people from starting companies. Cause if you work somewhere, particularly if you have a family, if you're not on your own, but you have a spouse and some, you've made some people healthcare can be a very scary thing to have to stand alone on. We know the research points to that. We also know that the millennials are the least entrepreneurial generation in American history and are the first generation in American history that are forecasted to be less well-off when they're with the, than their parents. And part of the problem there is the high cost of education. Mm-hmm. And so, oh, and by the way, none of the discussion around immigration in this country is around entrepreneurial immigration. 
if Americans aren't starting companies, let's invite entrepreneurial ones. Eric Yuan, the founder of $20 billion publicly traded Zoom, yeah. is an immigrant from China. It took him nine times to tries to get in here. Why are we stopping entrepreneurial immigrants? This country was built by entrepreneurial immigrants. Okay. Yeah. And so what's my point in all of this? A, I'm hoping more of us in the entrepreneurial world who are in a position to help find a way to help in whatever way you can. That's point A. Point B, there are some clear structural problems. And for the most part, they're not getting talked about. We are in a federal election cycle. I watched all of the Democratic debates. I didn't hear anything along these lines. Yeah. I've listened to everything coming out of the Trump campaign. Of all presidents, you know, he gets criticized for a lot of things, and I'm not generally a political person in public. But the stunning thing about him is he positions himself as an entrepreneur. Mr. President, why are we creating an environment that advantages Amazon.com and the wealthiest man on the planet? And look, I'm not suggesting they're not a wonderful company. They started off as a startup, okay, not long ago, like 25 years ago, right? One dude, incredible achievement. However, doesn't need a tax break for the helipad, right? right? <laughs> Instead, why don't we make healthcare easier for entrepreneurs, for small entrepreneurs? That's so true. Right? Why don't we give why don't we give R and D tax credits for new companies and young companies and, and, and companies with under I don't know what the right number of people is. I I'm, you know, educated people need to study these things, but there are there are ways to make the environment better. And I also think, look, we have to talk to each other and say, Hey, Americans, stand up, start a company, take a risk, go for it. I think that, you know, we have to encourage our sisters and brothers to go for it again in life uh, and in business, right? So some of it is environmental in that context. I'm not suggesting it's all on the government, all right? But sure. here's what I'm saying. This conversation isn't happening at anywhere near the scale that I think it needs to happen, whether it's in our business press, whether it's in podcasts, whether it's in entrepreneurial masterminds, or whether it's in any of the, the, the political um, um, election cycles. I, I am not hearing it. If it's out there, fucking I send it to me and tell me where I'm missing it. Yeah. And so I'm not seeing I think all of us who care about the growth of this country, all of us who care about job growth, innovation growth. And here's the other thing. This is not just some high level 30,000 foot discussion for me. I got thrown out of school at 18 and my choices were manual labor or start a company. And so for many of us, or for some of us, entrepreneurship is a way up in the world. And hey, God bless you. Yep. Uh, God bless you. I, whatever your motivation, go for it. God bless capitalism. Mm -hmm. And for many of us, entrepreneurship is a way out. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to talk about the, uh, the entrepreneurial dream and the American dream, to me, they're inextricably linked. Because entrepreneurship is the only way for us to bet on us when nobody else will bet on us. When there's no evidence to suggest that you are capable 
of being anything other than you currently are today. And for whatever reason, the deck is stacked against you. And the only way you have to self-actualize, to go for it in life, to be creative, to be innovative, to, to be proud of yourself, to create something of value for you and your family and ideally your community and maybe even the world is to go for it as an entrepreneur. And when less people do that, our society suffers at an individual level. Yep. Go out and do it. 100%. That's awesome. No, I like that because, you know, I think a lot of times people tie into like, you know, we all hear about these SaaS startups getting funded. Um, we actually just did a, another episode a couple back about, you know, about funding and that kind of thing. And it's almost it a like a great episode. I listened to it. Yeah. It's almost like we start thinking about that as like the end game when we're not actually thinking about, you know, actually going out and, and building something that'll last. And I think that's part of it too, is because we expect that quick return. Um, but even Amazon, to your point, 20 years, right? He's been busting his butt for a long time. So yeah. it's it's the same thing in that regard. So that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And for those who are inspired by Christopher's words, go listen to some of his shows on Follow Your Different and uh, other just content from Christopher. You, man, you're always talking about that entrepreneurial uh, deficit we have right now. So keep beating that drum. Ben, incredible time, dude. The time goes too fast. Uh, it did. That, that went quick. It did. And and your dialogue show can be up to like two or three hours. That, that, that's not us, but <laughs> I wish it could be. No, uh, maybe I'll have it on for a part two, man. Yeah. I would love to. Where's the best place for people to connect with you, man? Lockhead.com. Two H's, L-O-C-H-H-E-A-D.com. Lock like the Scottish lock, right? That's exactly where it comes from. Scotland's the only country in the world I don't have to spell my last name. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody yep. puts a K in it, of course, which, you know, listen, is understandable. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for your time today, Christopher. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank Pleasure's you. been all mine. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please share it. Post it, tweet it, gram it, email a friend. Give the gift of knowledge to someone you know that could benefit from it. And if you really loved it, please consider leaving a rating and written review on your podcast player of choice. And as always... Go to wayfindinggrowth.com for resources and past episodes. Remember, we're here to help you navigate your business growth with strategic conversations and insights from experts in multiple industries. Thank you for listening to Wayfinding Growth.